this is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or a discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com.
praise you, Father, for your scripture and your words that you've given us, God, that so beautifully, God, direct our life. God, you so lovingly and graciously, God, gave us this word, Father, that we can turn to, that we can have hope. God, we pray that as we learn more about your scripture now and, and as we open your word and and walk through this passage, Father. I pray that, God, move in our hearts. Move things around, God. Allow us to see what it is that you have for us this morning. Allow us, God, to open up our lives to you, Jesus, however you want to work through us. God, allow us to be willing, Father, to do that. Whatever it is you've called us to do, we praise you again for this moment that we've had to worship you. We love you, God. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, again, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 37. This uh, weekend, uh, my dad flew up from Georgia, and I had the opportunity to take him on a bucket list item to go fishing on the Chesapeake Bay, which is uh, something he wanted to do in a way that was safe, whereas uh, not taking my 17-foot bass boat and trying to go out there, but uh, taking an actual bay boat out there. And so uh, a man named Jim, who's a good friend of mine, said he would uh, take us out. And so my dad flew up for literally a day or two just to go out on the Chesapeake Bay. We get out there. And, uh, <clears throat> well, actually, as we're headed down there, I don't know if you know anybody like this, but my dad and Jim are kind of like, they're like, they're just givers. They just love to give. They, they want to provide for people and help people. And so anytime you put two people who are just like, outgivers in the same place, they like fight who's going to give more, right? It's like, well, here's the dinner check. Here's the breakfast check. Here's the fish and bait, like all these different things. Like, no, I got it. No, I got it. And like fighting over it, right? Like stealing it from each other. It's just, it's kind of comical to watch and sit back and watch. So they're just outgiving one another. It's one of the cultures that we have in our staff that I hope to generate. And I would love to see even in our church is just outserving one another. How do we serve one another in a way that fulfills and is like Christ. So as we were on the boat, if you've ever seen, sometimes you attach what's called a, like a, a metal leader to a line, and it makes it where that metal leader doesn't get hit by uh, animals that will 
mess up the line or maybe if it gets hung on something, it's not going to break. You put a metal leader on there sometimes and it just helps out, right? So the engines, the prop's going, the engine's moving, and that metal leader winds up around the prop. So Jim's stuck on the back. So my natural mode and my instinct is to serve. I like, I like to serve people. I'm not, I'm not always the best at some other things, but that's just kind of one thing that I like to do. So uh, me and Jim are kind of now in this mode of like, who's going to win to get the, the, the metal leader off the prop? So now I'm fighting him. My dad has no clue what's going on, but we're in the back, and I'm on the left side, and he's on the right side. And I'm like, no, I got it, bro. So me thinking I'm like still 18 years old, I literally run over, jump onto the back of the outboard motor, which is not smart in general. Luckily, it was in neutral and not in, uh, not in drive or reverse or anything, so the prop stopped, right? But I'm hanging onto the back of this outboard motor over the Chesapeake Bay, which is just not intelligent in any way, right? So... I'm hanging out of the back of it, and all of a sudden, this metal leader's wrapped around, wrapped around this prop. And I go down, and I'm, I'm trying to unwind it off this prop. And out of the water, I'm no joke, out of the water comes a shark and bites me right in the hand, right here. Shark week in real life. I'm kidding. There was no shark. <laughs> Way less cool. Way less cool. I uh, slipped because the big wave hit me, and I'm now 31 years old, thinking I'm 18, hanging off on the back of this motor, and this wave hits. Much more embarrassing. I slip and fall into the prop, and it cuts my hand open. So, but I'm going to go with the prop's name is Shark, and Shark got me. So, we'll just stick with that. I told Pastor Glenn this morning, he said, man, that's way more lame than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be like some shark or something, or like the hook or something. I was like, oh, I'll color it up a little bit for the service, like a good pastor would. So um, shark got me and uh, cut, but uh, here's the thing, man, just uh, trying to outserve, trying to do these things, um, but at the same time, what would have been intelligent for me to do would be to look on the other side, where was there was a perfectly working ladder that I could have just easily walked out and unwound the line on, um, but instead, there's me on the back of this motor holding on for dear life as this uh, big old wave comes crashing in. So feeling good about it, but here's the thing, when we outgive and outserve, when we're trying to serve in abundance and just trying to, not to serve out of our excess, but to serve in excess, to give in excess, to live a life that is giving and not just receiving, but to live a life that is also able to receive and because of what we received, give out of it. God has called us to be a people who give and receive and to do it in humility and honesty. And so I want to walk through this passage with you as we see people who are giving in their deep community, their life of deep community. And I want to talk about what that looks like for our church in particular, but also from what we see in Acts chapter 4. Verse 32 says, Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them because of all those who owned lands or houses, sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distrib distributed to each person as any had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. I got it right. I said Barnabas right. In the first service, I said Barnabas. In the second service, I couldn't say anything, so I'm feeling good. But here's the thing. Every good preacher can turn a mistake into a point. So in the middle of it, here's, here's your point from that. Has, it, has anybody ever looked at a word and been like, 
I know what that word says, but I can't pronounce it. Or like, is that spelt right? And you know it's spelt right. I did it this week. I was trying to write something up for our staff or something, and it said office. And I looked at it, and I was like, off ice. That's what is go. How do you spell that? So I took off the F, and it was O-F-I-C-E, and I was like, that doesn't look right. So I went to Google search and typed in how to spell office. I mean, come on, man. Like, I, 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 do you ever do that? I do that all the time now. I feel like I'm always doing that where I look at a word and it becomes a sound. Anybody do that? And you're like, I can't get rid of it. Off ice. Barnabas. So um, I don't know. If I call it that again, just give me grace. But from that, here's a good point for you. In, the, in all seriousness, all seriousness, sometimes we look at Scripture and like we see it, but it's hard to understand it, right? This passage is one of those where you look at it and you're like, okay, do I really want to apply this to my life? I can see it. I think I know what it means, but how do I understand how to apply this to my life? I hope that as we walk away from today, we're able to say, okay, this can be applied to my life. The truth of this passage can be applied to my life in a way that brings deep community and deep provision to those who are around me. So I got four things that we can work through to hopefully get to this point. First is deep sharing. Look at verse 32. It says, Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. So it says this phrase, one heart and mind. If you remember, there's a, at least two instances we see this in their culture. One is Deuteronomy 6.5. Remember that you're to love the Lord with all your so this heart and mind idea, right? They would have, uh, the, what the Jews did is typically when they were being faithful, would recite this daily. This was kind of their daily recital is Deuteronomy 6, 5, right? To love the Lord with all your heart and with all of your mind was a biblical idea that would have been entrenched in a Jewish society. So when they see that there is this unity of one heart and mind for the Jews, it would have been an attraction to this group of believers because they're saying, man, they have unity, but what does it look like to have unity of one heart and one mind? How do you get that kind of unity? I think about it like this, and we'll bring this back up um, near the end, but I think about it like this. If you're given, if you're given 25% of your heart and 25% of your mind to the unity, then 75% of your heart and mind are not being brought into unity. When we only give 25%, then we leave that other 75% to be uh, 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 disunited. Is that a word? Disjointed? What's the word? Disunited? Let's go with it. Ununited? That sounds bad because it kind of sounds like un, it's U-N-U-N-ided. Let's go with disunited. Everybody good with that? Thank you. Appreciate it. Divided. <laughs> Thank you, Sophie. Coming through clutch. That's, man, that's our institute for you right there. I appreciate it. There's a division of heart and mind. But no, seriously, think about it like this. Your heart and your mind, uh, especially like Old Testament and New Testament, that idea of cardia, Greek, and, uh, means heart. What, what does the heart mean? What happens that? Does anybody remember the first time they saw their spouse? You get that heart throb? You know what I'm talking about? I think they've even written songs after this and stuff. I'm serious. Like, and the first time I heard my wife sing Oh the Blood by Carrie Joe by Crossgate Church, I was in tears. And, and man, that's a heartthrob moment, right? Like I heard her singing and I was like, man, that woman is beautiful. Like I knew it from the beginning. But it's that idea that what your heart loves, you have a reaction to it. When you're around people who are like um, um, 
they have like status in the world. You maybe think they're popular. Maybe you think they, they, uh, they have a um, high calling in their life and you're just kind of like in awe of them. You, your heart beats fast, right? Or maybe when you're really relaxed in life and you just calm down, your heart slows down. When you're around those whom you love and you just have comfortable uh, living with them, you're just like being comfortable. Maybe you're on vacation. You just slow down, right? Your heart works to the tune of the affection and the love that is around you. Our hearts are geared towards affection, emotion, love. They respond to affection, emotion, and love. They respond to what our mind experiences, and our heart is controlled by what it loves and what by, what by the emotions and the affections that it has. To be of one heart meant that they, were, they, had, they had this unity in what they loved and what they were uh, emotionally attached to, physically attached to. They had this emotional love and physical love. It was this grouping, uniting, providing for one another, caring for one another, loving God. It was this unity in heart. But also in mind, when you transform your mind, when you have the same vision, the same purpose in life, the same, you're going in the same way. They had unity in what they loved and they had unity in how they thought about it. This was perfect unity. And it's something that, again, the Jews and the Gentiles both would have longed for. The Jews would say it like uh, to love the Lord your God and, and they would repeat that daily. But the Gentiles would say like this. The Romans had this saying. It was, um, it was a brother of one soul. It was this idea that they, had, they were like two people but had the same heart, the same soul, the same drive in life, the same. It's like that kind of thing. Like I feel like they read my mind. I feel like we're all like united on this. We love the same things. All that. They longed for that. And so they were seeing it in the church. The early church was demonstrating to the Jews and the Gentiles what it looked like to have unity. In verse 33, we see this, what, what empowers that kind of unity and that kind of giving. It says in verse 32 that they held everything in common, that their possessions were, uh, uh, that no one claimed their own possessions. They had this united possession and heart and mind. So it was both in what they had in, internally and externally, they had unity in it. So in verse 33, it says, with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was on all them. What motivates a life of, of this kind of unity? Now talk about it from the national level or, the, or just the whole world. How do you have, how do you distribute possessions to every single person? We can't, right? We think about it and we're like, how, how does this even work? Like, this, this wouldn't even work. Like, the, everybody has the same thing. Or if I have something, I give it to somebody else. Like, all these things different don't work. But I, but I want you to see something here. What motivates what they do? It says, with great power, the apostles were given testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Power and grace. It says, and great grace. Great power great grace, lead them to have all things in common. So you think about it in the world sense. Would it be impossible for us to spread out our resources to the entire world? Probably. I mean, someone said that one man once said that to do that, every single person in the world would have to be a Christian. And so I understand that. Like if, if every single person was out giving one another, maybe this would be possible, but it's just not possible in a world that is full of sin, greed, jealous, all these different things. It's just not possible. So what do we do? How can we do this? The question for these guys is, is not, you know, the perfect scenario in heaven like it will be in heaven, but in this world, 
in a world that is messed up, in a world that has sin, how can we live faithfully in it? How can you live faithfully? Not in the first century, but in our 21st century, how can we live faithfully? What should we do in these moments? Well, by the power of God and by the grace of God, we ought to live in a way that shares with one another. So instead of going to the whole world, let's go down to the small scale. How about in your relationships? How about in your marriage? How about in your friendships? How about with your coworkers? What does it look like if you're married? What does it look like to wake up every single day and say, what is mine is yours and what is yours is mine? That faithful thing that was said at your wedding when they pronounced you from two into one, when you said, all that I have is yours and all that you have is mine, what does it look like to live that out faithfully day after day? And so we put it down in the micro scale and we're like, okay, maybe that that is possible because I do that in my relationships. I do that in my marriage. What is mine is Rachel's, and what is Rachel's is mine. We share in commonality. We are one. We are united. But what does it look like for that, for that person around me? Maybe for you it's not the person in Tanzania or Zimbabwe. Maybe it's not the person in Haiti. Maybe it's somebody who's local. Maybe it's your neighbor. Are you aware? Because the unity, again, unity requires that we understand all of them, 100% of them, understand what's going on in their life. Without it, it's hard to be united. So when we understand what's going on around us with our neighbors beside us and with our friends around us, our coworkers and our family, our spouse, when we understand what's going on, are we then being faithful with what we have? Maybe you feel like you can't do it for a global scale, but man, what, what do we often do with scripture? We make it so impossible to follow that we can't follow. But the rich young ruler made the God of his life. There's this guy in scripture, the rich young ruler, made the God of his life his possession. So Jesus says, give up everything that you have and give it away to the poor. That was because his possessions became the God of his life. But if you're in here today and your possessions are not the God of your life, what does it look like for you to be faithful with your possessions? What does it look like for you to be faithful when there's somebody around you in need? I think verse 34 and 35 really help us with this. So again, they're giving and, and they're, like, they're giving in a way that it can say they held everything in common. That doesn't mean that they distributed everything uh, equally, but instead it means that when there was somebody in need, they provided for them. Verse 33 says, the, grace, the great power and the great grace were what motivated this kind of living. And look at verse 34 and 35. It says, For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. This was not that one man had a house and just simply gave it to another man to have two houses. This was not one man just gave his house up so that he could be homeless and another person have a home. That would be an improper way to understand this. What this was is if there was somebody who was in need, they provided for them. It's not to make more people who are needy, it's to provide for those who are needy. So our goal, really the goal in here, what we can take from this, the principle that we can take from this is, if there is someone in need, how are we going to provide for them? The way that they did it, or at least these particular people in 34 and 35, and this this guy Barnabas who shows us how to do it, and the way they did it was they sold their land or houses. But you have to also think that we can't make a text impossible for someone to follow. So if your principle here was every single person in this room has to sell their land and their houses, what if some of you are renting? What if you're in an apartment? Can, would you only be unfaithful to what God has for you? You have to think about it this way too. What about the disciples? The disciples didn't, most of them didn't have land and homes. What if they 
left everything and followed after Jesus, and they literally left their house and their land or didn't have any, would they not be able to be faithful with what they have? See, the question here is not, should you give up your land and house? The question is, how do we give in excess? How do we give in a way that provides for the, need, for the needs around us? When we're aware of somebody struggling around us, how do we give in a way that provides for them? And don't, we can't use the example of, man, I, it's just so distant, I, I can't ever help, we can't ever help, there's no way we can fix this thing. Maybe not globally, but what does it look like for you to be faithful where you are? What does it look like to be faithful where you are? So they sold their land or houses and they provided, they gave them to the, you know, put them in front of the apostles' feet, which again, not what we're asking. That's not how we um, communicate in our church about money. We're not asking for you to go sell your land and your houses and put them at the feet of our pastors, right? This is not what we're saying. Here's what we are saying. When there's a need around you, whether it's providing through the church or you providing personally, find a need and meet a need, whatever that looks like for you. Like we're not, we're not going to beg for people to give money. Instead, what we're going to say is, when you see a need, meet a need. Whatever that looks like for you. If we can help you meet that need, we'd love to come alongside you. If you want to donate so that we can help meet needs, do that. Meet needs when there are needs that are exposed. And so what they were doing, this is the way they did it. But here's what's cool, and i got to make sure we clarify this. In Acts chapter 6, they shift the way they do this. At this time, in this passage, they were doing it one way. Then they shift to using deacons, which is the same way that we do it. We have life group leaders and Sunday school teachers. We have deacons and we have pastors. The way we distribute is through that process. We hope that life group leaders and Sunday school teachers are able to provide care and ministry for our people. But also deacons are able to supplement that and pastors as well. And so the process shifts throughout the early church. But the, but the purpose stays the same. Although the process shifts, the purpose is to provide for those who were in need. And so Barnabas shows us a great model. It says in verse 36, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one uh, the, the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, which some people in your translations, if you're reading the Living Bible, it says Barney the preacher, and that's hilarious, but I don't think it's accurate. Um, Living Bible says Barney the preacher. That makes me think of that one show. What was that show that your dad loves? Barney, y'all remember Barney? Barney Five. Barney Five. It makes me think of Barney every time I hear that. Barney the preacher. Nope, Barnabas. So anyways, Barnabas is the son of encouragement. And he's really listed as, in Acts, he's listed as a faithful guy. Like throughout Acts, he's, he's a guy that's investing in young believers. It says he has a good eye and glad heart. He's really just a joyful man. Uh, he encourages people in faithfulness in, in uh, Acts 11. And uh, he travels along with other uh, ministers in Acts. And so we see this guy being faithful. But in this passage, verse 37, it says, He sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. I do think it's interesting that he sold a field, not a sold a house and filled. And so faithfulness is not that you have a house and field to sell. Faithfulness is what has God called you to be faithful in right now? Right now, what does it look like for you to be faithful with what God has given you? You see, because we have barriers in our life that prevent us from having deep community that leads to deep care. 8,000 people at this time, right? The disciples had led thousands of people to Christ, and they were living in Jerusalem, a lot of them. So there's thousands of people to care for. How do you find that deep community? How do, and that's what they saw in Acts 6. How do we 
separate out in a way that brings deep community to those around it and also provides care. I got three things for you. First is to be known by others. We've got to be known by others. It takes a humility to say, here's who I am. It takes honesty to say, here's what I struggle with and be transparent, 100% transparent. Again, if you're not 100% transparent, that 75% of you is going to struggle and you're going to wonder why the 25% is, is struggling, right? You, you show 25%, but the 75% is really what's causing 25%. You're like, what is going on? And you got that 25% and there's no unity. There's d- division in there. So we have to have if we want to have deep community, we have to have humility, honesty, transparency, and consistency. Consistently saying, here's where I'm going. Here's what's struggling. Here's what I'm walking through. It's that know, being known by others. Second, it's allowing others to provide for you. You see, in this passage, it says they provided for those who were in need. Physically, emotionally, financially, spiritually. It's provision when you're in need. But isn't it so hard to allow others to provide for us? Sometimes it's easier just to say what we're struggling with than rather than to get help with what we're struggling with, financially, spiritually, whatever it may be. So these people had to be willing to say, I'm in need, I need help, help me, and they provided for that need. It's being known by others, but, but notice this, when, when, others, when, when, we, uh, when we allow others to support us and help us, to provide for a need that we have in our life, what does that do? It causes us to have to give thanks for what God is doing. When someone provides for you, you have to give thanks for what God has done for you, right? So you give thanks to God. But also, it creates a culture in your life where you want to give to others. A culture of being, of receiving ought to generate in you a culture of giving. And when we give to others, we say, thank you, God, for providing in a way that I can provide for others. Giving praise to God, giving thanks to God for what he has given to us. And so remember this, let this sink in. If we don't allow others to give and we don't give, then we are robbing God of being glorified, of being thanked, of being praised. Because when we give, God is glorified. And when we receive, God is thanked. But if we don't give and receive, then God is neither glorified nor thanked. So it's a a struggle, man. It's something you have to wrestle with to let others give so that you can give thanks to God. To let others fulfill what God has called them to do in their life. That it might bring glory to him by them being faithful and glory to them by providing for you and you giving thanks. So thank you, God, for what you've provided. Requires us allowing God to provide. We have to be in a place where we say, God, we need you. There's some barriers to this that I want to help us with. This is, this is so difficult. You see, I, I receive, we receive, oh, I don't know how many prayer requests every week. We receive tons of prayer requests every single week, and we're thankful. Keep sending your prayer requests to us. Keep sharing them with your life group leaders and your Sunday school teachers. Receive prayer requests often. But here's what you got to be careful of. You don't give prayer requests without the... Um, without being willing to receive help. So here's what that looks like. And this could be in your groups, this could be in your Sunday schools, this could be just sending us a prayer request. Being slightly transparent, but not fully transparent. You know what I mean? So this is what that looks like. When you say, here's what I'm dealing with, but you only give enough that makes them be quiet. You only give enough that makes it where they're like not asking you what's going on in your life anymore. You're just like well, here's some things going on in my life, but I'm really not going to share that really deep well of what's going on in my life, what we're really struggling with. 
And so you're just slightly transparent. Here's a little bit of me just so that you're aware of it, but I don't want to go any deeper. Or you build up walls of distrust where you say, because of my past, you know, there's things that I've built up around me that I don't trust you with what I'm struggling with. I can't give to you what I'm struggling with. I can't trust you with this. And I can only share these things out of things that I've either struggled with or seen in my life, maybe in me or in uh, people close to me. And so you, you see these things happening, and most of these have happened in my own life, where it's just you release a little bit or you build up walls of distrust and you just don't want to share these things. Like, you know what I'm talking about? And then, and then what happens often is we're honest about our problems but not humble enough to receive help. That's like the, sharing a prayer request but not wanting any help. We, we say, hey, here's a struggle we're dealing with, but when help is offered, we don't want it. And, that, and we see this, I mean, this is often. You know, here, here's a prayer request of mine that I'm struggling with. You know, somebody um, has an issue, a physical issue, and they need help around their house, but they won't ask for help. And it, don't, don't let that happen. I'm going to push you. I'm going to get a little, little tension here. It's okay because think about it like this. You're robbing them of doing what God's called them to do. Just yesterday, Pastor Glenn sent a group of men to go help one of our ladies in our church who needed help physically around the house. Like it's provision. We got to provide for people because it brings glory to God, allows us to give thanks. God is worshiped. It is what God has called us to do. That goes for financially, like in this passage. It goes physically, like Pastor Glenn helped with yesterday. It goes spiritually, if you're in a spiritual battle, if you're fighting through a battle. It's one of the last things people want to be honest with is what's going on spiritually so that other people can battle with them and provide for them spiritually. We've got to be honest about our problems, but, not, but we've got to be humble enough also to be able to say, I need help. This generates deep community when we reject being slightly transparent, building up walls of distrust, and being prideful to think that we don't need help. We build up deep community when we are wholly transparent, when we trust each other by building trust with one another, and when we are honest about our struggles and willing to receive help. This is how Acts chapter 4, 32 through 37 comes to fruition. You see, they were of one heart and one mind. So what does it look like for you today to share your heart and to share your mind and to say, I need help? Providing for the needy, providing for those who are struggling. What does it look like for you to say, today, I need help? Today, I need somebody to walk with me and just simply tell me what to do. I need somebody to provide financially because I have this struggle right here. What does it look like for you to do two things today? Find deep community and realize the power of the gospel to generate life-changing, gospel-centered giving and receiving. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 37, they give in a way that just blows our minds sometimes. They shared in such community. What would it look like for you in this room to have community like that? Not just with one or two, but to look to your right and your left and know that this church is fighting for one another, for each other. We are fighting a battle together. As I often say, that when we walk out of these doors, it's like we're linking up and going to battle together. What does it look like for literally, if you look to your right and your left, that you know the person beside you and you know what they're dealing with and you can meet a need? That's a deep community. 
that's something that our church is going to fight for as we grow. It's exciting. I love to see new faces here, but I just want you to understand as you come into a culture, we've got to remember that we have to understand who each other are, what we're going through, and be honest about our struggles and humble enough to receive help as we walk through it. Deep community. Realizing the power and the grace of the gospel message. So I'm going to ask the band to come forward, and we're going to, we're going to worship together. And as we do, there's going to be a prayer team around you to pray with you. Um, we got pastors in here who are available to pray with you. Um, if this is a time where you just need to share for some needs, if this is a time where you want to get connected in a deep community, we got life groups and D groups that are available right now for you to connect into. Maybe you need to recommit into a Sunday school that you haven't been part of or a life group that you haven't been a part of. You say, man, I need community. Coming through COVID, you know, getting isolated, I just need community. Whatever that looks like for you to find deep community today that can provide for the needs that you have today, tomorrow, and as you move forward with your walk with Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. Father, you are the God who provides. You are the one who loves us. You've given grace and power in a way that allows us to live our lives. So, Father, I pray right now in this moment that this church, individually, children, teenagers, young married couples, married couples with children, senior adults, every person in every phase of life will apply this passage to their life where they are, to give in excess rather than out of excess. Father, that we would outserve and outgive one another. Father, that we would learn unity in heart and mind, giving all 100% of who we are, transparency and honesty and humility to be able to grow. Let us be like the church in Acts. Help us grow, Father. We love you. In your son's name.
Praise God. Uh, thank you for being here again. My name is Matt. I'd love to meet you afterwards. Remember that you're sent into the midst of darkness to light it up. I pray you have a great week. We hope to see you again next week. Don't forget, Salt launches next Sunday. We'll see you guys next week. you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.